There's no doubt that small businesses are the foundation of our communities. That's why MasterCard has invested in tools to support small business owners as they grow their business. With MasterCard tools and resources, you can increase sales by shortening checkout time, broadening your customer base, and tapping into new opportunities to increase customer loyalty. So get started. Discover all the ways MasterCard can help guide, grow, and protect your business at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. I'm your host, Rick Spence, business journalist, editor, public speaker, and entrepreneur. After 15 years as the national entrepreneurship columnist at the National Post, and as the former editor and publisher of Profit, the magazine for Canadian entrepreneurs, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, scalable, and successful. On this show, we connect you with Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. You'll meet the people driving the entrepreneurial movement and we'll share their first-person adventures and their tips, hacks, and best advice for running startup and growth companies. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 3.5 million entrepreneurs. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. To entrepreneurs everywhere, this is your show. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're thrilled to have Michelle Zatlin, the co-founder, president, and COO of San Francisco-based Cloudflare. It's the internet security, performance, and reliability leader whose mission is to build a better internet. Founded in 2009, Cloudflare is now a publicly traded company on the New York Stock Exchange. Prior to co-founding Cloudflare, Michelle had positions at Google and Toshiba, and she helped launch two successful startups, including the Toronto-based employee rewards firm Achievers. Michelle sits on the World Economic Forum Young Global Leaders Foundation Board. She's been named a Fortune's 40 Under 40 list and was part of Marie Claire's seventh annual New Guard. And I think you're the first ever New Guard that I've interviewed, so this is exciting. <laughs> Michelle holds a Bachelor of Science from McGill University and an MBA from Harvard Business School, where she received the prestigious Dubalier Prize, Prize for Entrepreneurship. A native of Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, Michelle actively supports Canada's startup ecosystem. In 2019, she was named an icon of Canadian entrepreneurship by the C100, a nonprofit group of Canadian business leaders who are crushing it in Silicon Valley. So, Michelle, welcome to the show. Hi, Rick. Thank you so much for having me and for that very warm welcome. I'm really excited to be here with you today. And and, and me, you, because uh, I love Prince Albert. I've been to the, the National Park and been on trail rides and I've, I've been in the pubs. And uh, it's great to meet someone fr from Saskatchewan who's making it big uh, in the business world. So it's really fun. The way we work it here at the Startup Canada podcast is that we ask our guests to suggest a few ideas that we're going to explore uh, during this podcast, so our listeners will know that it's worth staying around till the very end. So what are the top pieces of advice that you hope entrepreneurs will take away from this conversation? Uh, well, you know, I do these things because I want to help all the entrepreneurs that are listening because I was in their shoes about 10 years ago just getting started. And so the things I hope people take away are encouragement that if if Michelle Zatlin can do it, so can they. <laughs> I can share all the secrets. <laughs> uh, I hope 
thinking some of the things that we did along the way that I would definitely do again if I was to start a business that I think helped tilt the risk reward ratio in our favor. And I think it's just really helpful to hear as a founder what those are. And then just this idea of people. Uh, at the end of the day, companies are groups of people rowing in the same direction. And it's really hard to get great people to come work for you early on. And so happy to talk a little bit about that because I do think that's a big difference of what what a great company and a good company looks like. Fantastic. Okay. People are going to be riveted for that. Before we get there, tell us a little bit about you. So how do you go from Prince Albert with a chemistry degree to launch startups in Toronto and then just, you know randomly go off to Harvard Business School. Those are all true. I did all those things. How does that happen? <laughs> uh, you know, so it's so interesting. I I grew up in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. I come from a really close family. And my parents really always encouraged me and my sisters to do very well at school. So that was kind of expected in my household. And I did very well at school. My, my parents are really grateful that they said this. You can do anything you want, but you can't stay in the province to go to school. You have to leave the province to go to university. That was one thing they told us. And so they said, you can come back after, but you have to go out and see the world a little bit. And for those who don't know, Saskatchewan is about a million people in the entire province. And I come from a small city. And what was really normal is most people went to University of Saskatchewan uh, in Saskatoon, which is- Which is a really good university, by the way. It's a great university and a great and a great city. And I love it. But I think that my parents just said, you, need, you should go see parts of the world. You can always come back because this will always be home. And it's Sure, you can always go back home. I think that that's really interesting. But once you start to build deeper and deeper roots, it's harder to leave home. And so my parents really pushed us to say, go explore something else. And that led me to McGill where, and you know, you have to pick a major and I loved science. I, I loved math. I loved science. I loved helping people. And, you know, I picked chemistry because chemistry is a study where it answers a lot of questions. There's always a reason in chemistry why something happens or why something doesn't happen. And I, found great satisfaction with that. Um, and actually now fast forward to today, I find a lot of similarities in technology. There is always a reason why something is working or something isn't working. And I find that same sim that same um, satisfaction. And the reason why I wanted to study chemistry is I wanted to go to med school. And I love this idea of saying chemistry is a very common path to do that. And this idea of I wanted to help people. I just loved that notion. And fast forward to today, what I realized is I am able to help people through business and technology. I mean, the products that we build today at Cloudflare help a lot of people around the world on a daily basis. And I didn't realize that in high school. I kind of learned that along my journey that there's a lot of ways to have impact in the world. And I'm really glad that I learned that lesson. So, you know, I'll skip a couple steps because it's a long story, but Basically, I'd studied science and some point along the way, I was like, maybe I don't want to go to um, med school. Maybe I, I you know, I kind of thought I did. And then all of a sudden I was like, maybe I don't. I, I didn't know anything else. And so I moved to Toronto to work for a few years. And, you know, I was a, I was a pre-med kid trying to get a job and I, I didn't even know what the job options were to me. And I remember, you know, telling my parents, hey, I'm going to delay applying to med school to go work. And they're like, what are you going to do? And I was like, I'm not sure. I'm going to figure it out. And I figured it out. I knocked on a lot of doors and ended up um, working at a great retail financial services boutique firm where I where they gave me a, a shot. I ended up at Achievers where I was saw what a small group of people can accomplish when they really believe in in something. And at some point, I realized I'm not going to go to med school. I loved tech. I was like, wow, you can help people in lots of different ways. 
but I was a science major. So I missed some of the fundamental business elements. And the, clearly I was very good at what I was doing, but I was missing some of the business fundamentals. And so I really wanted to pursue my MBA. And, you know, almost like back before I had applied to all these great schools in Canada and I was at a dinner party and I was talking to one of my sister's colleagues, friends. I mean, friends is even a strong word. Someone she knew, an acquaintance. And he said, so what are you up to? I was like, actually, I'm applying to business school right now. And he's like, what schools are you applying to? And I kind of went through the list of schools I was applying to. And he looked at me and he said, why aren't you applying to Harvard? And I thought <laughs> to myself, well, Harvard's very hard to get into and it's really competitive. And all, you know, I thought to myself, I'm, they're not going to, I'm not a candidate to get into Harvard Business School. I didn't quite say it that way, but that's what I thought to myself. That's what most of us think to ourselves. <laughs> I think that's what most people think to themselves. And you know what? I am so, his name is Greg. I'm so forever grateful for Greg for saying the following things to me. And I, and I made up some answers saying, hey, it's competitive. I'm not sure it's a good use of time. And, you know, he stopped taking the bite of his hors d'oeuvre and he looked me straight in the eyes. And he said, I really did not know this person at all. It was the first time we met. And he looked at me and he said, if you don't apply, you'll never get in. And it was just one of these things where, you know, almost a stranger. I mean, I guess we, it was kind of like going to a barbecue. I kind of, we had a common connection, sticking his neck out and sure. what he really thought. And so I went home that, that really, you know, hit me. And I went home that night and I looked up and I was like, oh, I still have time to apply. So next thing I knew, I'm adding Harvard Business School to my application list. And long story short, I got in, which was great. I had been living in Toronto for six years working. And all of a sudden I was moving to Boston, Massachusetts in the United States to go to business school. And it was my first time living in the US. I had traveled here a lot, but my first time uh, moving down here. And I will say arriving to the campus of Harvard Business School changed my world all over again. I just like when I arrived at McGill, I, you know, your world gets bigger. You see, you thought what you knew was great. And you're like, wow, that actually isn't great. It gets redefined of what is. It's just, the world is a very big place. And there are so many um, smart, incredible people. And I, I think Harvard Business School really opened my eyes to the global aspect, how big the world is, different economies. And it made me straighten my spine a little bit. I had done really, really well in Canada. And I was like, wow, my, my good is not good enough anymore. I, I need to step my game. And so I ended up going to HBS. It was an amazing experience. And Basically, while I was working at HBS, studying at HBS, I met a classmate and a little bit of another aha moment happened to me. And, I, you know, I'm open to all these new opportunities. And a classmate and I started to riff on an idea around could we help make the Internet safer for small businesses, medium sized businesses and people online. And I really did not know a lot about cybersecurity when we were talking about this idea. But I had a little bit of the same aha that I had earlier in my life. Well, if we can make the internet safer for b small businesses around the world, I would be really proud to be a part of that. So let's go, let's go explore this idea. And so fast forward, we started Cloudflare and now 12 years later, we're a publicly traded company with 2000 people, more than three and a half million customers around the world, small businesses, big companies, 17% of the fortune 1000, and they all use Cloudflare services to be faster online, get protected from cyber attacks and be more reliable. And it's 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 almost like a dream come true. I hope that one day the folks at Harvard Business School and every other business school will take the, that story that you just told for five or six minutes as the best way to tell a story ever. Uh, you took us straight from from Prince Albert to, 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 to Silicon Valley um, with all the key stops along the way and and 
just put some some great lessons into it. Uh, so thank you. So thank you for telling such a great story and being so clear about about how how you got where you are. I think it makes you so much more relatable and uh, and 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 uh, the fact that you were sort of mission driven all along is so important. Once you realized you were helping people with the internet, obviously you could you know, tell your parents you weren't gonna, ever going to go to medical school. So that must have made you feel better. But I'm also, yes. <laughs> but I'm also really keen on that interaction with your, with your acquaintance named Greg, because the, the, the knock on Canadian entrepreneurs so often is that we just don't think big enough. And here's a person out of the blue saying, think bigger, think Harvard. And, and that is such an important lesson that whatever we think we can do, we should take a moment and say, what if we could do even more? And that's what, he, well, that's what he challenged you to do. And then he changed your life. I a hundred percent agree, Rick. And you know, I, I hear these stories over and over again, where it's like that one conversation can lead to really big things. And, you know, again, I, I meet a lot of people in my job now as an entrepreneur running Cloudflare. I just, I hire a lot of people into the business. I, half my job is meeting people externally. And I think that um, most people don't tell you what they really think. And so I'm grateful for Gray for at least telling me what he thought. And, you know, some people may have said, well, that's rude that he said that to you, but I, I really appreciated it. So, cause most people don't tell you what they think. And so I always try to be a person who says, I'm going to tell you what I really think, even if it's not what you want to hear. Um, and then wow. the second piece to this is the corollary is being on the receiving end of these things. You got to be open to hearing it. Um, I mean, we all hear things all day long. You got to choose what you're going to listen to and take action on. And so I, I think that there's a couple of lessons on both sides. Being, being that person to stick your neck and be like, I really think you might want to rethink how you're thinking about it. And if you're on the receiving end, being open to hearing it. Right. There was one other thing in your origin story that, 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 that I read the other day, which was that your confidence was built up because you attended uh, some pitches by Harvard Business School students or grads, and you thought, hey, I could do these. This isn't so hard. Um, that sounds like another of the sort of mental blocks that we put in our own way that you were able to overcome. So can you tell us, tell us that story? Yes. Yeah, this is a good one. And and this is back to my point one of what I hope people on this podcast take away is, wow, if Michelle can do it, so can I. And and I really I mean that, you know, again, I'm, I'm smart, I'm passionate, I work hard, but I'm also just like everybody else. You know, I'm not some special being. And so what it was, it was actually not at Harvard Business School. I was on a trip to Silicon Valley. So I was in my second year doing my MBA at Harvard. It was this great experience. I was expanding myself in all sorts of ways. And there was a professor-led trip to the Silicon Valley. And I had visited San Francisco and the Valley before uh, for a bunch of reasons, but um, but I'd never spent a lot of time here. And I was like, wow, this will be a great experience. So I signed up for it. And this week in the Valley was this very magical time. First of all, it was January 2009. And January 2009 was not a frothy time. It was right after the financial collapse. It was kind of a gloomy time, but we showed up here for a week in, in January. It was led by a professor and we met a bunch of famous venture capitalists, like in person, you know, there was a group of 40 students that were on this trip meeting with all these famous VCs that the school had arranged. 
we were meeting with early stage um, founders and we were meeting with late stage founders. And this was kind of when Mark Pincus was building Zynga. Back then, Zynga was a huge deal. It was growing like a weed. We went to Facebook before anyone ever heard of it. We kind of did venture capitalists, big companies that were hot, and then the early stage companies. And we were at an accelerator. It's called Plug and Play. It's in Sunnyvale, California. And I went to this accelerator and I had never been to an accelerator before. And basically, you know, it was Wednesday afternoon, halfway through the week, and we're sitting and it was a pitch by three early stage entrepreneurs. So they are very early, like seed, series A today, sort of early. You know, back then, I didn't even really know what that meant. Um, and they were just talking about what they were doing. And I left that room. It was a Wednesday afternoon. I was also tired because, you know, you're busy all day. We were out at night. And I said to one of my classmates, and I said, oh, my God, if that guy can start a company, so could I. And I meant it as a just like it was demystifying to me. I was like, this person is no different than me. They're not smarter than me. They're not better than me. I am just as good as this person. I could do this if I wanted to. And now when I said it to this person, this classmate of mine, what is what is the best response ever in a classmate was, of course you could, Michelle. Of course you could do it. And back to your point of a mental block, sometimes saying it out loud and then having someone react in that sort of way, all of a sudden you're like, you've expanded your, your horizons a little bit. And that person actually was Matthew Prince. And Matthew Prince and I started to talk about this idea in the hallway right there. And that idea turned into a school project. That school project turned into Cloudflare. Cloudflare turned into the business plan competition at Harvard Business School. We won it. And next thing I knew, we were literally... I had another job lined up. I was supposed to do lots of fun things. I was packing my things in a U-Haul and him and his mother were driving the U-Haul from Boston to San Francisco. And we were going to move to San Francisco to see if we can make our idea come to life. And it's just that like, that's what seeing some of these early stage pitches were, was super helpful for me. I could see what I liked, what I didn't like. I was like, I could do this. I could see myself doing this. And, and then the next step was to put into action and actually do it. I guess this explains why the C100, which is the organization I mentioned earlier in my intro, they love bringing Canadian entrepreneurs down to Silicon Valley to show them around, impress them, and maybe also demystify it a bit. Exactly. And that's why I love that organization. Well, not only is it because I get to hang out with Canadians all the time, which is so great, but I think it's exactly it. And it hits such a chord because that was my experience. And just when you see it, you can believe it and you can start to see yourself like that. And, and you can start to see what parts do you like and want to mimic? And there are other parts that you don't like, so you should do it differently. And that's okay too. But just being able to see it and kind of get tangible with it versus reading about it or hearing about it, it adds another dimension. Let's just go back to Cloudflare for a moment. Can you help us understand what it does differently to, uh, to, to expand the internet and internet security and that has made it so successful over the last decade? Definitely. Yeah. Thanks so much. So Cloudflare is a service that helps any size business, small entrepreneurs, startups, small businesses, developers, students doing school projects, um, or large companies, anyone putting anything online from a toaster, wireless car, to, um, you know, to an application that they're building, or a blog, or a website. We help make sure anything connected to the internet is fast, we protect it from cyber attacks, we make sure it's more reliable. So we make the internet faster, safer, and more reliable, and it turns out Every business around the world, small and large, needs to be faster and more safe and more reliable. So it's a very big market um, that's that's global. It's not just one country or one vertical. We, we offer, Cloudflare offers a very um, 
uh, horizontal solution to to any size business. So that's what we do. The way that we solve this problem is really, really cool. So we've built a global cloud network. So Cloudflare, we, we have um, presences in 200 cities around the world, about 100 countries, where Cloudflare has kind of hardware that we own sitting there. And when somebody tries to access one of our customers, you know, applications or websites from, I don't know, Paris, they go to Cloudflare's Paris data center. If they're in South Africa and Cape Town, they go to our Johannesburg data center. If they're in Vancouver, Canada, they're hitting our Vancouver data center. Again, we are, we're in 200 cities around the world. And at each of those points of presence, we are helping make the internet faster for all of us legitimate visitors who are trying to access our customer sites. Or if it's a if it's a bad actor online, we stop it locally. We don't let it get past Vancouver or Cape Town or or Paris, and we just stop it locally. And it turns out that's really, really effective way to make the internet faster, safer, and more reliable through this global distributed network. And so Cloudflare builds infrastructure for the internet. We have a lot of traffic passing through us that we make faster and safer every day. And just to give you an example, we have you know over three and a half million customers using us, but every single day we stop about 80 billion with a B cyber attacks on behalf of our customers. I didn't know there were that many cyber attacks. Oh, well, there's exactly, there's so many. And it's just this idea of what? And so it, it's like, how is that possible? How is that even, like you said, how is that even a problem that needs to be solved? It actually kind of goes back to the beginning of the internet. When they created the internet, which has turned out to be this amazing invention that we all rely on and for business and personal use, they never really knew what it was going to become. It's really hard to predict the future. And so if you look at the original specs for the internet, often it said, you, you look at the security line and it says security to be completed at a later date. <laughs> and so now that we know what the internet's become and how much important it is for business and all of us, that's why there are people taking advantage of it. All of us legitimate visitors, we want it to be great to access information, but there's people trying to do malicious things. And there was just never, these sort of security protocols were never baked in from the beginning. And so in a way, Cloudflare is going back and saying, how do we layer in security, privacy, performance, and reliability for every single person on earth? And that's what we're doing. And it's been, you know, I love that I get to work with developers, small businesses, entrepreneurs use our service. You know, we have a free plan, a $20 a month plan, a $200 a month plan. Then we also have large organizations, mid-sized organizations, governments around the world using our service to be fast, safe, and reliable. So it's, it's. Um, I feel really lucky of what we get to do, and I'm really proud of the work our team does. Fantastic. What, what are you excited about for next? You talk about building a better internet. So what's uh, what's coming up just over the horizon for Cloudflare to help it do that? Yeah, no, well, it's so interesting because we, you know, so many, we have a lot of customers, but there's so much of the, of, of the internet that don't even know Cloudflare service exists. So it's how do we continue to rate, let people know that there are good solutions out there that they can use to help be protected. And then the last thing, the other thing we've really seen the last year is all of a sudden, all of us went from working in office buildings, not all of us, a lot of professionals went from working in office buildings to all of a sudden making their their house their new office. And it turns out that companies spent years making sure corporate networks were very safe and, and guarded. And now we're all working from home and we're dusting iPads out of people's closets because their kids need to use it to get on school. And all of a sudden, we haven't spent as much time um, uh, hardening our home networks. And so there's actually a lot more vulnerabilities for businesses out there. 
And so what we've done is we've created a, a service that helps make sure that employees who are accessing their corporate applications from home can do it in a safe and reliable way through kind of a better version of a VPN. I've never liked a VPN until I used Cloudflare's VPN and now I love it. It's like magic. And we've, we've given that away at no cost for a lot of businesses and helping other businesses who are scale with, wow, people are going to stay home for a lot longer than we thought. We have to make sure that they can get access to what they need internally in safe, safe ways that they really hadn't designed and kind of got turned on, on its head. So that's that's a big um, focus of ours as well. That's a fascinating story. Can you tell me the, the, the rationale for giving it away at no cost? Yeah, you know, we always... Cloudflare's mission. This is, isn't your socialist Canadian persona coming coming down on Wall Street, is it? I wouldn't quite describe it like that, Rick. I guess the way that Matthew and I would describe it is, you know, we it feels really good. And again, this is back to like if you're an entrepreneur listening, for the entrepreneurs listening, it feels so good to build a great business. Cloudflare is a great business. Our revenue has been growing fifty percent for five years in a row. You know, we did we did over we did over four hundred and thirty million dollars in revenue last year, like growing at fifty percent. We have high gross margins. Um, there are very few companies that look like that. Like it's let's like ten. That's it, and we're one of those. So we have a great business. And what I love is as a as an entrepreneur is okay. We have a great business, but are you also proud of what you're doing? And I think on a daily basis, we're really proud of the work we're doing, helping stop all these attacks. But when there have been opportunities to say, what else can we do? What else can we do for employees? What else can we do for our community? What else can we do for our customers? I feel like we always try and do the right thing. And so, and there's been other many situations along the way, but for this one, it's Cloudflare for Teams that we gave away at no cost. During the pandemic, it was a hard time. I mean, all of a sudden, like, customers are just like, I, I my, our employees literally can't access, can't get their work done. And and there were real implications and it was like, we're in a position to help. And this is not a place to be price takers. It's a, a time to deliver more value. And we are a business, so we have to make money at some point, but it's like, let's just help people who need help and let's just do the right thing here. And it was a new product for us. So it wasn't, it wasn't like we were taking a billion dollar product line and all of a sudden giving it away for free. It was a new product, so it was easier to do. And I was saying, hey, just use it, give us feedback, let us know. And if you like it in six months, we'd love for you to to, to continue with us and pay. And if not, no, no no harm done. And so it was a way to, it was a new product. Our product got a lot better because we had a lot of usage out of it, but also to do the right thing. And I think as an entrepreneur, if you can start a business that's both a great business and something that you're really proud of, and then with a great group of people, which we haven't talked about yet, and I, that's part of my job are the people I get to work with, that is when something magical happens. And, and I think that that's, I didn't appreciate that when I started Cloudflare, but you know, 11 years in, especially because I have so many founder friends, if you can find all three, hold on to that so tightly because it is so hard to replicate. Right. Earlier on, you mentioned that one of the things you'd like to talk about was you know, some of the, the, the things you did that got you where you are. And by implication, there were probably some mistakes that you made early on. Can you go back to the founding days at Cloudflare and, and recall something you did wrong, but you recovered from and something you did really right that helped set uh, uh, your, 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 your path forward? Yes. Yeah. Let's start with it. I, I, there's two things on the right side that I want to share that, that might be helpful to the, to the audience. So the first is for like the first five years of Cloudflare's history, you went to our website and this is what it said, give us five minutes and we'll supercharge your website. 
That's what it said. There was no mes mes message of like cybersecurity or global performance reliability. All that's all it said. Give us five minutes and we'll supercharge your site. And then the sign up process literally took less than five minutes. We used to time it. We obsessed over how easy could it be for someone to sign up for our service. And less than five minutes to make your, your, your website or blog or application twice as fast and all of a sudden have a protective shield from online attackers and more reliable was a really amazing value proposition. And what's interesting is when I looked at other alternatives in the market, the average time was six weeks to implement. And again, these are bigger companies and whatnot. So we took something that was very slow um, to implement for big companies and not even accessible to anybody. And we made it super, super easy. And that wasn't easy for us to do. It took a lot of engineering work, a lot of design work to get the user interface and the flow right. But when we did that and we rethought some of the assumptions, man, that was just such a huge um, asset for us. And now fast forward 11 years later, when you ask our largest customers, why do they like Cloudflare? Easy to use is always top of mind. It's like, wow, it just works so much easier than anything else I'm used to. And it just works. I don't like it's it's amazing. I push a button and it just works. It doesn't take me hours or, or days or weeks to set up. And so I think that this idea of easy to use can become a superpower. And for some of you on listening, that will be the case. And so if you can become that, I really think it can be a huge differentiation. And it was for us early on. Thank you for that story. I remember writing articles about being easy to do business with, you know, 10 years ago. Maybe you read one and that, no, <laughs> but but th that's what it's all about is, is, is standing out by making a simple proposition and making it easy to, to, to take you up on it. So that's brilliant. And I'm so glad that that worked out for you. And you had one more. Yes. Yeah. And Rick, I definitely must have read that that post. So thank you for writing it. It was it was the spark <laughs> I needed. Thank you. <laughs> My pleasure. I mean, there's so many other ones, but the other one is actually it was interesting. You said you, you, earlier you mentioned something around, hey, Michelle, you're a really good storyteller. Thanks for telling that great story. I don't think if you'd met me 10 years ago, anyone would have called me a good storyteller. Although Matthew, my business partner, was a really good storyteller. And I think one of the things we did really well early on is one thing you can have as an entrepreneur, as a founder, that whoever you're competing with, and especially if the competition is a big company, you can have a personality. <laughs> you can have be a good storyteller. And it turns out that's a huge asset. And so take what you're doing and turn it into stories because stories help amplify and make you seem bigger. And it also is a way to get people and customers to come attract. And it's hard if you have a personality and points of view and you share that, that is very hard for a public company to compete with because they are checking with their legal team, whether they can say something or their comms team, whether it's okay to respond. But as a founder of an early stage company, you're not checking with your legal team or your com your communications team. You're just, you're just speaking the truth. And so we had personalities early on and we did a lot of speaking. We spat on panels. We had tw active Twitter personalities. And this today, sure, we're a big success story. But when we were getting started, it did make us seem bigger than we were. And sometimes early on when you're building your company, having that puffer fish appearing larger than you are is really, really helpful. And so I think that um, if you you can have a personality, so if that is something you like, lean into it. And you know, I remember early on we started our corporate blog, and our corporate blog doesn't really have marketing, and it was it was really 
used to discuss, here's a technical problem, here's how we solved it. It's very kind of in our voice. Why are we launching a product? Matthew would be writing blog posts about it. And like our blog today is like a media property. It gets so many views every single week because it's just really, really great content. And it people come work for us because like I read your blog. I love it. I want to come work here to be part of it. And I'm like, okay, great, awesome. And so just have a personality and 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 use your voice and be a good storyteller. And that really can help you get further along. Now, I will caution. Do not be a fraud. <laughs> There's a big difference between using your voice and being a good storyteller and being a fraud. Don't ever get to the gray area. Assume the test that we used to say is, if we write this down, will we still be proud of it five years from now? And just that's the te- best best test that we've used. So anytime we wrote anything down, would we still be proud to put this with aside beside our name five years from now? And that helped us ever become too cheesy or too salesy or too marketing or too grandiose or, 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 or maybe too raw. It's like, no, no, you got to keep it within a, you got a personality, but stay professional. And so I think that's something that I don't hear enough about. And I think it can be really powerful. It's a fantastic story. Thank you. Did you learn that at Harvard? No, I did not. I, you know what, that one I learned from Matthew Prince. He's just, and you know, Matthew has a English degree. So obviously a good storyteller. He's read a lot of books and a computer science minor. And so he's both technical and a great storyteller. And he's just, He's just really good at it. And and back to surrounding yourself with great people, which hopefully we'll get to, turns out when you surround yourself with someone who's a really good storyteller and taking t- complicated things and making it easier to ex- understand, you get a lot better at it. And I was not terrible at it before, but but I've gotten a lot better uh, because I spent a lot of time with Matthew. Speaking of blogs, I did read a recent blog post written by you and Matthew um, referring to the future of work based on the experience that Cloudflare has had uh, since the pandemic began. In March 2020, you closed the offices, and according to the Post, and I'm doing this from memory, something unexpected happened. Some things got better. Can you tell us a little bit about how things got better and how people became more empowered once you know that traditional office hierarchy was shattered and how that's going to affect Cloudflare going forward. Yes, yeah, no, some things did get better and we'll get to the things that didn't get better, but some things did get better. So when we closed our offices and all of a sudden we were all found ourselves working from home. We we had many offices around the world, but the the first office had been in San Francisco and people still thought of San Francisco as the headquarters even though we said no no, we're all one team, we play as a team. And all of a sudden, when we were working from home, that notion went out of the way. It was like flattening of the world. It never felt, it no longer felt like San Francisco was the power center of the company. All of a sudden, it was like, no, no, we're, it was a much more equal playing field. And what we saw was people sp- feeling more empowered to speak up in meetings. A lot of those happened to be women or underrepresented minorities. And I think it was just that they, I think that it was just the, the, the level of the playing field, being in our cube on Zoom or Google Meets or whatever team, whatever video conferencing system you're using, made it really felt like we were all equals and it made it easier to share ideas and speak up and, and, and just get involved. And so that was really, really great. The second thing we saw is actually productivity went way up. And that was a combination of two things. The first of all is when all of all of a sudden the the world went home, the internet traffic doubled overnight around the world. And our service helps make all that traffic faster, safer, more reliable. So we had a huge overnight, basically 
double the amount of usage of our service overnight. That was uh, very intense for our team. And all of a sudden, our customers were saying, our VPNs aren't working. Can we move to your your VPN? All of a sudden, they're saying, this digital first product launch that we were on the back burner is in our front front burner because people can no longer go into restaurants or movie theaters. And we got to launch this now or else I'm going to have to lay people off. And so right. we were so busy, <laughs> like so busy. And our team was really busy. And I was like, wow. And there was a huge increase of threats because all of a sudden people were at home and we got to like, okay, we got to make sure that we're patching, shipping the product to help do that. And so we had a lot of, um, people think of the pandemic as a health crisis and it absolutely was. And the doctors and the nurses are, are, and the scientists are amazing and for sure the heroes, but it was also a huge test of cyber resilience because of all of a sudden the internet doubled overnight and we all relied on it every single day, a lot more than we were when we were going to work every day. And it was, it was a little bit scary for all of us behind the scenes holding it together. And so we, our team, if you look at how fast we ship products, how we sold our products, it just was way more productive than even before. So those are the things that got better for us, where people are working together, it felt like a level playing field. And it was just like, wow, we have the, the problems came into very acute focus. And this pressure of we got to solve it as fast as possible, because these are really real problems. It was amazing what you are able to accomplish as a team when you're under that sort of um, environment. Right. So what's going to happen going forward? Are, 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 is everyone going to go back to work in offices? Or are you going to find some hybrid sort of program? Yeah, well, the second part of this blog point, post that we, we penned is, you know, predicting the future back to what I said about the internet is really hard. And, you know, I know some companies have made these really grand visions and, and some of them will turn out to be true. But I think there's going to be a lot of things that end up different three years from now than than we can even see today. And so we've not made grandiose um, lines in the sand. We've kind of said we are going to, we know things are going to be different. We want to keep the things that are better. We don't want those to regress. Some things are better. We want to keep them. But some things are worse. Like we miss seeing people. Humans are social. They miss seeing each other. So we need to figure out how to solve for that. And people get to know each other in different ways. And so going forward, the future of work, we've said we're going to, we know flexibility is important. No matter what, more flexible is important. We don't really believe in arbitrary rules like we come into the office on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. That's so much simpler to set up up front. But like as soon as someone says, well, Wednesday doesn't work for me. Can I do Thursday instead? It's like, why did you pick Tuesday and Wednesday instead of Thursday? And all of a sudden it's like, oh, I don't know. And now you're restricting who can only come into the office on Tuesdays and, and Wednesdays versus you're restricting, you know, there's going to be some reason why someone can't come in on a Tuesday or Wednesday. And so and, and so on it goes. And so we want to we want to provide more um uh, uh, standards versus rules and, and empower people to get together in ways that work for them, but not, not be so top down heavy of it has to be on a Tuesday and a Wednesday. So those are some things we know, but most importantly, we, we really plan to experiment, um, see what's working for us, see what, what our customers are doing, what works for them. And most importantly, see what other companies are doing, because there's going to be the greatest experimentation over the next two years of how we, the future of work works. And I don't think one per one company is going to come up with all the best ways. It's going to be accumulation. And I think the best companies that come out two years from now are the ones who are going to have been flexible along the way and experimented a bunch. Right, right. And you've been talking a little bit about people as being an important part of the success of Cloudflare. So tell us what you do differently to attract and motivate and retain the best talent. Well, this is the piece that, you know, I, I that I've learned along the way, like how important this is. And 
When you're early, it is really hard to convince someone to come to a 20-person company or a 50-person company. I mean, there's just a lot of good jobs out there. And so it's like, why would they take a risk to come join your 20-person team? Um, and even a 100-person team. I mean, I had a lot of amazing executives, a, a incredible talent. They're like, come talk to me when you're at $100 million in revenue. Which they made it sound so easy. I'm like, no, no, that's why I need to hire you. I need you to help me get to $100 million in revenue. They're like, there's no way I'm leaving my job at Salesforce or 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 Workday or Google to come work for you unless you have $100 million because then I know you're real. And I understand if you're an executive why you'd have that point of view. Of course, some take a chance. We 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 have some examples of chances. But I I as a B2B SaaS business, our business model is a we sell to businesses, so it's that's what B2B stands for. And we're a SaaS-based business model, so a subscription service model. I noticed that the talent really flipped once we hit over $100 million in revenue. Then it did get easier. People were more willing to take a bet on their career with people who were seasoned. But up until then, it was hard. It was hard. And so I, I say that because there are a lot of companies getting formed right now, which is amazing. But no matter how amazing you are as a founder, you need a team. You need a great team. And so now getting a great team becomes your number one priority <laughs> to be able to go execute on all the things you need to do, build the product, get it in the hands of customers. And there's just such a big difference between a good hire and a great hire. And so some things we did early on that we actually still do in some spirit today, obviously it's evolved, is one of the ways that we did it early on, which might be helpful to those listenings, is it turned out the founders played a big role. So we, Matthew and I and Lee, the three of us who started the company, you know, at some points I was spending about 50% of my time recruiting, which is an insane amount of time. That's a lot of time, but it was just, there was nothing more important than getting great people to join. And it turned out when Matthew or I and Lee were involved, it was easier to convince someone to come join. Um, so that's one thing. So I know a lot of people who outsource it to recruiting firms. I, I, I think that's dangerous. I think being involved and even to this day, fast forward today, we are 2000 people at Cloudflare. Hiring managers are responsible for hiring for their team. They get to partner with a recruiter and the recruiting team are partners to help make it happen. But at the end of the day, the hiring managers are heavily involved. And it's amazing. I've had managers come join us, ex professional executives, who are like, this is the worst idea ever. This is a waste of my time. Why am I doing it? And then I've recently one of them said to me, you know what? I was totally wrong. I see I see, the, I see the benefits of this method. I have a better team. They stay longer. We have less attrition and we get more done. And, and it's, there's fewer support, surprises. This is a way better of way of doing it. So, so that's, that's point one. Um, the second thing I would just say is I think, uh, one thing that worked well for us, which I know I, you know, I think re reaching out on LinkedIn, showing up to meetups, all those things, those are, are, are good and get happen happen all the time. Ask friends of friends, friends referrals. Those are things I often hear kind of these outbound, hey, ask your friends who they know, use LinkedIn to find people or GitHub to find people. I agree. That also takes a long time. And we did that as well. But one thing we did is uh, back to this company blog, we were writing a lot. And, you know, again, part of it, we were a great storyteller. We were scale. We were talking about how we were working on these hard technical problems. And it turns out a lot of smart people want to join a company making impact and making progress. And so when we were talking about how we were solving these problems and what we were doing on this corporate blog, people started to share those posts in their communities. 
And all of a sudden we had a quite a big readership and it became a big funnel of people applying to work for us. And so as a small company, we actually had quite a lot of inbound interest to work for us because we are writing stories on our, on our blog. What kind of things were you writing about that would actually get people's attention from outside the company? Once Google went offline uh, because there was a, there was a technical issue that happened and we wrote a blog post of why Google went offline today. And our network engineers explained what happened technically, like from the BGP got inputted by this ISP net and this ASN net, like very, very technical, exactly account of what happened. And actually, you know, it wasn't even just that one actually became like front head news. All of the news outlets used that blog post and referenced it. And so it was just like we're this tiny company and we were all of a sudden like for 24 hours. Uh, part of the news cycle because we wrote about what happened to another company. We just explained technically through thought leadership why they went offline. Fantastic. Thought leadership, right? And then, you know, another example is why do we use, um, why we chose to use C-level code in our, in our code base or um, how did we stop this large DDoS attack against this customer yesterday? Like really, I mean, they're very technical and very specific, but it turns out if you are an engineer and you, you know, oh, we, we use a lot of Go early on, which is a computer programming language that, you know, now is much more mainstream. But 10 years ago, it was kind of emerging and we were using a lot of Go. So we wrote a lot of blog posts around Go. So it turns out if you're an engineer anywhere in the world interested in Go, this became content that you could get access to. And we were literally writing about real life problems. We put paste the code lines into the blog post of what we were using and 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 all all these different sorts of things. So we we wrote about lots of different things. We still write about lots of different things today. And it turns out like great content is is very valuable if you do it well. And did you did you sort of feel this instinctively going in or did you learn, hey, this is really getting picked up by people we want to impress. Let's do more of it. Of course. You I mean there's feedback loops. I I mean I think that we started saying back to we want to have a voice we want to have a personality we thought this is a way that we could describe dis differentiate ourselves so we just started to do it right plus plus by the way our developers were writing code and and you know matthew did check in some code but him and i were not checking in code on a daily basis so it's like all right we got to do something let's write a blog post <laughs> let's let's do something and you know these things started to pay dividends where people were reading it and sharing it and then of course you refine it and get it better and better and for the longest time you know i remember when we kind of had employee number 100 start for the longest time we assigned them start at the beginning of the blog and read every single blog post because that is the fastest way to get up to speed on our company history wow isn't that great um who knew that blogging could actually pay off <laughs> so many bad blogs in the world i'm glad to see that you've used it strategically i have to ask you Michelle, what kind of advice you'd have for other female founders in technology? What have you learned that they can benefit from? Well, number one is keep going. We need you. And 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 everybody wants you to be successful or or the or the best people want you to be successful. So keep going. Um that's 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 one. I think the one thing we haven't talked about today is I do think picking big problem sets um, can be really attractive or just just think big, as you said, um, if that appeals to you can be really helpful because it makes it a little bit easier to attract talent and these problem sets you 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 grow fast which is um, helpful in other ways getting the flywheel started but definitely um, you can do it <laughs> if I can do it you can do it um, think big 
And it's totally normal to be like doubting yourself. And it's totally normal to be like, feel like everyone else knows, has it figured out. And I'm telling you, everyone doubts themselves, men and women, everyone, 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 everyone. It's natural. It's actually a good thing. It means you care about what you're doing. I was sitting at a conference three years into Cloudflare. I was listening to an entrepreneur and he was like, hey, Ev Williams, that was a big deal. He was a big deal at the time. He was building Twitter when I was building Cloudflare. And he was like, Ed Williams told me. So I was listening to someone. He was further ahead of me on stage. And I was listening to him, literally like the inversion of what we're doing right now. And he literally said this line. And I was like, used it a hundred times since. He's like, everyone is making it up as they go along. And I cannot stress that more enough. Everyone, I'm making it up. We are all in the biggest jobs of our life every single day. We are all just figuring it out as we go along. So have a high rate of learning, be open. And at the end of the day, you are in charge. You make the decision and just keep going. You can do it. Wow, that's fabulous. I have to ask you, on the Startup Canada podcast, we believe in Canadian entrepreneurs, but we don't often get to talk to people who are you know, officers of of big American companies listed on the New York Stock Exchange. So I have to ask you this question. Do you feel like a success? Do I feel like it? Yes. Of, yes, I do. I'm super proud. I am so proud of what I've accomplished and I love what I get to do. And I think at Cloudflare, I'm so proud of what we've accomplished. I love the people I get to work with. I, the problems we solve, I think the internet is better with us than without us. And I think we solve, make the internet better for a lot of people every single day and, and have a lot of... Um, opportunity ahead of us. I'm proud of how we've done it. I mean, we haven't been perfect. Don't get me wrong. We made a lot of mistakes along the way, but I'm really proud. I look at the tenure people, they come to Cloudflare, they, they choose to come to Cloudflare, they stay for a long time. They feel, they feel like they belong. They feel like they're empowered to do great work. That's us at our best. Um, I love that. I love, I'm really proud that Matthew and I, um, Lee, unfortunately is very sick. So he left the company six years ago, but you know, Matthew and I still get along. We run the business together. Like I'm very proud of that. That's, you know, you read all the stories about founders hating each other or VCs and founders hitting each other or the board and the, and the company not getting along. We have none of that drama. And I'm, I, I do think that's success and I'm very proud of that. And then on a personal note, I'm married, I have a great I have kids, a great, great family. So yeah, no, I'm very proud. And, and I'm impressed that when you talk about success, it's about your relationships with other people, working with people, getting along with people, or helping other people. And when the average person thinks about success, it's it, it, it's not, you, you know, they're usually thinking of it in personal terms and what they're going to do and how that's going to change them. And I love that your def definition of success is having successful relationships uh, in all parts of your life. I love that, Rick. I'm going to use that. That's that's very well said. Very eloquent. I think you said it first, so so you use it as much as you want. Finally, Michelle, thank you so much for uh, the the time you spent with us. But our last question here, traditionally in the Startup Canada podcast, what's the most actionable piece of advice that you'd like to offer entrepreneurs that they could put into their business and start working on immediately? Okay, this is I I, I said a lot about people, but I didn't say this point, so I just want to make it because I do think it's um, you're right. I do value relationships because I do think it saves you a lot of hassle down the down the road. So maximize for the people. Um, and what I mean by that is if you are raising money, don't go for the highest valuation or the most celebrity firm. Pick the person that believes in what you're doing, where you have the most shared vision that you want to work with, because they're going to be involved in the company for a long time. And you will save yourself a lot of hassles down the road, a lot of drama down the road if you pick, if you optimize for the people up front. Same with hiring. 
you know, every time we hired the, the very shiny executive that had the perfect resume and we were trying to convince them to come to Cloudflare and, you know, it didn't work out. I always regretted it versus the person who wanted to be at Cloudflare. And we didn't really have to convince that much. It was more about getting alignment and being like, here's, here's where things are going well. Here's what we need help with. And they'd be like, awesome. And falling more and more in love with the opportunity. Just pick the people who believe in what you're doing, whether it's employees that you're hiring. If you're looking for a co-founder, I'd say being aligned on that. If you're looking for a board member, if you're looking for an investor, like do not bring a board member on that has great on paper, but doesn't really care about what you're doing. I just would, I would way rather take someone who has less of a reputation that really believes in what you're doing. And you will save yourself a lot of headaches down the road. And that's the one thing that I don't think gets saved, said enough. And I hear all about the problems down the road. And I'm always like, why did you decide up front? And it's just like, ah, oh, it just was hard to walk away. And so that's the one thing that I want to tell everybody. Fantastic. Pick the people who believe in what you're doing. You are so full of bon mots. I look forward to reading your book one day. You know, just collect all those blog posts and put them, <laughs> put them into a Kindle. It'd be great to read. Um, thank you for your advice about thinking bigger, having that mission, um, communicating as, a, as human beings and, 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 and communicating strategically to reach the audiences you want to reach and about creating new value in tough times, even if you, even if you give it away to start because uh, value is value and it's going to last. So thank you for all those business lessons. Thank you for those great stories. Uh, we really appreciate talking to you and best of luck to you and Cloudflare as we navigate out of this uh, economic period and into something new, which none of us can predict. I know. I know. Well, thank you so much for having me today. This was really fun. And I really am cheering all the entrepreneurs on. If I can ever be helpful, please reach out to me on LinkedIn and let me know how I can be helpful. And I'm, I, I want, I hope one day someone's talking about, Hey, I listened to this podcast and Michelle encouraged me to think bigger. And I did, and it led to this. I, I would love to hear some of those stories a few years from now. Fantastic. Thank you, Michelle Zatlin, Z-A-T-L-Y-N. For those who want to track her down on LinkedIn, the co-founder and CEO of Cloudflare. It's been great talking to you and I hope we'll talk again. Definitely. Thanks, Rick. Thank you for joining us this week in the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show dedicated to unlocking the potential of every entrepreneur. Stay tuned another minute to hear the latest startup community news and the upcoming events lineup, including our hashtag Startup Chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 noon Eastern time. I sometimes show up there too. Until next week, I'm your Startup Canada podcast host, Rick Spence. <laughs>